Ladies and gentlemen, uh, boy, oh boy, did we have a heck of a week when it comes to uh, possible sports stories throughout the world in the middle of August, you know? I guess the beginning of August, but in the, the middle of summer is what I should say. Uh, summer can only provide so much when it comes to sports talk. You know, this time of year, it's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, when you go to the, the popular shows like First Take or Undisputed or something like that, it's a lot of, you know, they're they're filling. They're in they're in absolute fill mode at this point. I saw a w, the WWE commissioner, I believe, or whoever it was, an agent or whatever, on uh, on first take the other day or get up or whatever and I was like man this is it's August we're we're in August and that's nothing against the 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 WWE or anything like that but the guy was in his act and everything you don't see you know ESPN isn't showing highlights of the WWE on Sports Center or anything like that like that's not a common occurrence so to see them invite an agent or a commissioner onto their show uh, to kind of promote their next event was a little weird and I was like well this is we're in we're in peak August form right now this is this is uh, where we're in the dead zone right now. They're talking about training camp as much as possible, NFL training camp as much as possible, and inviting people from the WWE to come on and talk about an event or something like that. And they don't even show highlights of the WWE on their channel. So, but here's the thing. This past weekend, it gave us a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things that we should be talking about right now, and we will be talking about. Uh, let's start uh, today. First off, welcome to the show. This is the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I feel for ESPN because they're a 24-hour uh, sports network, and in the middle of August, I understand, you could talk a lot of baseball. You don't necessarily want to turn into MLB Network, obviously, uh, but other than that, there's not a whole lot going on, obviously. So, you know, I, I feel for ESPN, but we're, there was a lot that happened. So there was plenty of stuff to talk about now over the weekend. Welcome to the show. This is Weekend Sports Rep Podcast presented by Alpine Climate Control and Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Uh, please remember to leave a rating on this show wherever you're listening to it. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, ShareToMedia.com as well. We post it there every week. Uh, and uh, yeah, leave a rating on any of those podcasting platforms. It helps out the show a bunch, so I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, and uh, a shout out to those sponsors as well, Alpine Climate Control and uh, Jack and Kathleen Wood. At 307 Real Estate, they help out the show as well uh, immensely. And uh, yeah, big shout out to them. Big shout out to the listeners. Let's get right into the show. We got one of the best calls. Uh, I think probably the moment of the year for baseball, which is very unfortunate. I don't think the MLB executives would like uh, that this is going to be probably baseball's quote unquote shining moment for the entire season. Uh, but we got a brawl. And we got a good brawl over the weekend on Saturday. Uh, if you were hiding under a rock, it blew up on Twitter, or I guess X now, whatever you want to call it, so stupid. Uh, Twitter slash X. And it was a good brawl. It was actually a good one. Usually with the brawls, I've talked about this before, the quote-unquote brawls that we see somebody gets hit by a pitch and goes out to the mound, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of nothing happens. There have been a couple in the past that really have developed some, some good stuff, but for the most part, a lot of it's just a little skirmish. And then... The entire thing, I've talked about this before on the podcast, my absolute hatred of when the bullpen has to run all the way out. And then by the time the bullpen guys run all the way out to the field, nothing's going on anyways. But they're just kind of separating people. And then you had to wait for the bullpen to go all the way back to the bullpen. It's stupid. I hate the bullpen having to come out. I wish there was a rule similar to the NBA. In the NBA, if there is a brawl on the court, nobody from the bench can come out onto the floor or there's like an automatic suspension for whoever they see come out onto the floor. 
That should be a thing for baseball, but only for the bullpen. The benches can clear because they're close to the action more often than not. But the bullpens, they cannot come out of the bullpen. They have to stay in the bullpen. Have a brawl in the bullpen. I'm cool with that, but don't come out on the field. That's just annoying. Okay, because then we got to wait for them to go all the way back. And most of the time, by the time they all the way, they come all the way out into the field, usually by the pitcher's mound or by like the first baseline or whatever. Uh, nothing's happening uh, for the most part. Then they're just walking all the way back. They came all the way out here just to go all the way back. It's stupid. I, I hate it when I see the bullpen come out. And by the time they're already down there, people are just clearing stuff up. And then they go back to the bullpen. It's it's dumb. They, they should have, they, I mean, brawls in the bullpen. I'm cool with that. They can they can duke it out in the bullpen with the other bullpen people. But that's it. Like, let's stop right there. That's it. They should not be able to come out of the bullpen. But for this time, they had an actual need. I would say for the most part, they never need to come out. But this time, they actually had a need. Uh, it, it was probably one of the best baseball fights since Jose Bautista and Rugnit Ordor. Uh, way back in, when was that, 2016, I want to say? 2015, 2016, I think. Uh, with the Rangers and the Blue Jays. Ruben Nodor landed a nasty, a nasty right hook onto, uh, I guess it was more of a straight, uh, a, a hook slash straight to uh, to Jose Bautista. It knocks his sunglasses off. It was a very famous uh, image that was captured on Jose Bautista after he had his after he had his uh, sunglasses knocked off. But this one had arguably a better moment. Uh, it was Jose Ramirez. The Guardians and the White Sox were playing uh, on Saturday night. Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson. They went at it. They got after each other Saturday after Ramirez, uh, who lined a attempted double into right field. He slid into second base, kind of went under Tim Anderson's legs, who was waiting to get the ball and lay a tag down. Uh, and then Anderson, I think I don't think it ever came out of why they were angry at one another. If they did, I missed it. Um, or why I guess Ramirez was angry at Anderson, who Anderson is the shortstop for the White Sox for all all those who are confused. Um, but Ramirez. Um, Took exception, I think, to Anderson standing over him for too long, essentially, because Anderson or uh, Ramirez slid over the bag, and Anderson was basically slant, like standing right over top of his back um, for too long, or something like that. It was it was kind of a weird brawl. I don't know what happened, or maybe he had offense to the tag because the tag when he tried to when Anderson tried to lay the tag that it did kind of hit Ramirez in the face. I didn't think it looked very hard, but you know, I mean, that's all you know hearsay at this point. Um, but when that happened, they started jawing at each other. Ramirez gave the old finger point. And said something, you know, probably mean to Anderson. So Anderson, in true ready-to-go fashion, throws his glove down, squares up. He's like, all right, let's 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 go. And the umpire, the umpire, by the way, if you haven't seen this, the umpire making an all-time business decision, an all-time business decision of getting out of the way. The umpire is supposed to be the enforcer on the field, quote-unquote, the enforcer on the field. The manager of rules, that is what he is supposed to be, the guy that is going to keep odds at bay make everything um you know work make it look like everything is under control out here just so we can continue to play the game and the umpire at second base malachi moore was his name uh he makes an all-time business decision as as anderson and ramirez start to kind of square up they're pushing at each other through the umpire essentially and they start to square up malachi moore backs out and says look i i can't do anything here i'm not going to stop jose ramirez or tim anderson at getting after each other by myself. So you know what? I'm going to back away. And that's exactly what he did. I tip my cap to Malachi Moore uh, because I think a lot of people in that situation could be, you know, they're being this, the Sunday, the Monday morning quarterback type of thing. Be like, I could have broken that up, but they don't understand. Okay. Anderson Ramirez, they're like two or not 200, probably close to 200 pounds of just like pure muscle mass. If they want to get to one another and it's in between one person, they're going to get to one another. You know, if that means going through Malachi Moore or not, 
So Malachi Moore makes the absolute just uh, the biggest a Hall of Fame business decision. If you look at it, it's really funny because he's just like, ah, I can't do anything about this. And then then just start going at it. So uh, they square up. Malachi Moore gets out of there. Ramirez. Uh, Anderson's the first one to square up. He drops his glove. He's like, all right, let's go. Let's let's get after it. So Ramirez squares up and then they start going at it. Anderson, I think, throws the first punch. If I remember correctly, he throws the first punch and uh, it didn't matter because they start going at it. Anderson throws the first punch. Ramirez retaliates. And then Ramirez starts to get kind of dragged away by uh, Michael Kopech, who was the pitcher for the White Sox at the time. Uh, and he kind of starts getting dragged away by Michael Kopech. But in that situation, uh, in, in that moment, he throws a nasty, a nasty right hook, an overhand right hook right into uh, Tim Anderson's jawline that drops Tim Anderson. And uh, Anderson has to kind of, li- I mean, just drops him. And we get uh, arguably the best play-by-play call we're going to get of the entire season as this fight is going out. And this is courtesy of Tom Hamilton, the Guardians radio play-by-play announcer, courtesy of WTAM, 1100 AM and 100.7 FM WMMS in Cleveland. Just an all-time call from Tom Hamilton. Uh, just leans into it, which I appreciate. I think a lot of, not a, maybe not a lot of people, but I think a lot of, some play-by-play announcers would maybe step away from that, you know, just go straight to break or something like that. But he, Tom Hamilton, just leans into it. He says, you know what? These guys are fighting. I'm going to turn into a boxing announcer. And that's what he does. Ramirez, a solid right hook right to Anderson's jaw. And, and Anderson goes down on his butt, clearly dazed. If you saw, there's a clip afterwards when he's trying to get back to the dugout because obviously they both got tossed for this. Uh, and he's going back to the dugout and he is stumbling. They would have uh, they they would have called that, a, a, I think, a technical knockout if uh, it was an actual boxing match because Anderson was, uh, he was stumbling around and it was a big L for Tim Anderson. And he continued to take L's afterward, unfortunately, to make matters worse. The suspensions were handed down by MLB. Uh, and honestly, Less games than I thought they were going to get, to be honest with you. I thought because this was such a um, vivid one-on-one actual fighting, you know, punching match, I thought maybe there would be 10 games probably for either Ramirez or Anderson. But that's not what happened. The MLB, they handed down uh, the longest of the bunch to Tim Anderson. By the way, the guy that got knocked out, he did square up first. He's the one that kind of incited it, which understandable. But I mean, MLB, let's come on. You got to read... I think you got to read the moment a little bit. Anderson got knocked out essentially, and they're going to give him the highest suspension, which is six games. So he's going to serve six game suspension on top of the fact that he got essentially knocked out by Jose Ramirez and Jose Ramirez is only going to have to serve a three game suspension because he didn't incite the actual uh, hand to hand combat, if you will. And uh, that's just, that's tough for Tim Anderson. He got knocked out and he's going to get suspended the longest amount of time for inciting the, uh, the actual fight. That's a tough look for Tim Anderson. Uh, a big L for him. I think people, this might be, as it stands right now, the biggest thing that Tim Anderson is maybe remembered for, which that's tough. That's tough. Uh, maybe the the thing that I can remember the most other than this from Tim Anderson was the walk-off home run against the New York Yankees in the first Field of Dreams game. That was a big moment. That was a huge game for just the MLB in general. Uh, a massive PR win for the for the MLB, and it was a great game between the Yankees and the and the White Sox. This was was it two years ago now, twenty twenty one, I believe, and um, that was a a really cool home run, a really cool way to end that entire night. 
But I think for the most part, people are going to remember the fact that he got dropped by um, Jose Ramirez in a fight that he incited. So that's a tough look for Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is going to have to step up his game on the baseball field now to really try to get that out of uh, everybody's mind when they're thinking about Tim Anderson. He's going to have to go for like four silver sluggers, five golden, glo- five, five gold gloves, uh, a couple World Series rings, and then people will be like, all right, I mean, I don't really remember it that much because he won three World Series, you know? But, I mean, right now, as it stands, Tim Anderson, tough look. And he's already, the thing is, too, about Tim Anderson, he has had a really bad year at the plate. I mean, he has been truly, truly awful uh, for the White Sox this year. The White Sox in general, I think I predicted the beginning of the year, I thought they were going to figure everything out. They haven't. Uh, It's been a disaster. Uh, And Anderson's been one of the biggest, not the biggest problems, because they have all collectively been bad, but he's been... uh, the most absent in terms of play. Uh, He's got one of the worst OPSs in the league right now. He just recently hit his first home run uh, of the entire season. I think that was a couple weeks ago against the Oakland A's, I want to say, or somebody else. It may have been somebody else at home, if I remember correctly. Uh, So just recently hit his first home run of the year, and he's got one of the worst OPSs in all of baseball. And then this, on top of that, I mean, it's been a bad year for Tim Anderson. Just probably up there with one of the worst years in the history of baseball for any player that I can remember. It's another. It's also similar to what I think Tim Anderson now is going to have to struggle with a similar thing that I think Robin Ventura kind of went through. Everybody kind of remembers, and Robin Ventura went on to have a pretty good. I mean, he when he went and fought um, Nolan Ryan and just got headlocked, and just the top of his scalp caved in essentially by Nolan Ryan in 1993. He'd already kind of had a decent year. I think he had a couple gold gloves. He had an All Star appearance. Uh, and then he went on to have a couple more gold gloves. Uh, I think he appeared in one more All-Star game after that. But for the most part, I think it's safe to say that Ventura is kind of remembered for his fight with Nolan Ryan and just getting just getting beat up. Luckily for him, though, that was early in his career. He went on to have a pretty decent long career after that. Uh, for Tim Anderson, it's tough, though. He's going to have to put together, some, like I said, some gold glove seasons, some silver slugger seasons, some more All-Star seasons, if, or if people want to forget this. Because, again, Rob Ventura, two-time All-Star, Six-time gold glove winner. I think for the most part, a lot of people remember him just for the fight with Nolan Ryan. And that might be the case now. This is probably, for for Tim Anderson, this might be the most high-profile fight that I can think of in MLB history, maybe? Um, I'm I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. I think, I mean, Nolan Ryan, Robert Vittura is up there strictly because of Nolan Ryan. Veritek, A-Rod maybe is up there strictly because of A-Rod. Veritek was pretty popular, but A-Rod obviously. Um, and there's a couple others, but I think this one, just in terms of all-stars, you know, and name recognition, these two might, th- that might be one of the bigger fights uh, that we've ever seen in MLB history. And we got one of the greatest calls that we've ever gotten in MLB history, all in one night. Uh, and it might be one of the, th- and the other thing that the MLB might be angry about is the fact that I think this might be the thing that everybody remembers about the 2023 season, not Shohei Otani having arguably the greatest season in the history of the sport, not the dream team that the Orioles have all of a sudden become none of that stuff. No, the Yankees being bad. No, that's not going to, nobody's, nobody's going to care about that. You know what they're going to care about? The fact that Jose Ramirez hit a nasty right hook on Tim Anderson and Tim Anderson was dropped because of it. And the amazing call that we got out of it. And that's MLB is probably pretty angry about that, to be honest with you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right, a sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack. 
and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. you got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses, and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agent. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call. Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we're going to move on from baseball. We're going to talk a little more college football. College football had a uh, wild weekend. Um, there was a lot of realignment stuff. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Uh, but more Importantly, I would argue, I mean, realignment is pretty important, but I think something that is only beginning to kind of uh, come up over the top of the volcano, if you will, the lava that is spilling out of the volcano only slightly is the college football and well, just the college sports gambling scandal that we in the midst of right now. Uh, there's been some reporting done uh, and there was a uh, probe that was sent through Iowa, some Iowa schools that involved a bunch of different athletes. And it turned out that seven current and former Iowa and Iowa State athletes were charged with tampering with records related to an investigation. Investigators found that multiple athletes uh, from these schools bet at their university residences and, quote, areas of university not routinely open to the public, end quote, which basically means athletic facilities or locker rooms, essentially. So you basically had seven guys that were found um, and guy, I mean, guys, literally uh, all men, uh, male athletes. Um, that were found gambling on either Iowa football or Iowa, Iowa athletic program uh, games, or just gambling in general. Uh, and a couple of these guys were gambling on their own games. Uh, Hunter Deckers, I'll go through some notable players. Hunter Deckers was the Iowa state starting quarterback last season. And he was found to have placed 366 bets worth approximately $2,799 under an account registered to his mother. He was again, the starting quarterback for Iowa state just this past season Aaron Blom, a backup kicker for the Iowa Hawkeyes, used an account registered to his mother as well, placed 170 wagers, totaling over $4,400, uh, eight of which were Iowa sporting events, including the Iowa-Iowa State game, uh, and he would have been on the bench during. He also bet the under, which is, this is the funniest part, uh, and this is the part that I really wanted to include it because it's little, it's funny included with the seriousness. Aaron Blom, the backup kicker for the Iowa Hawkeyes, the the backup kicker for the Iowa Hawkeyes, okay, he bet the under in an Iowa football game. That's incredible. And you know what? That At that point, that's basically guaranteed money. So that's, I mean, Aaron, that's a good bet. You're in a lot of trouble, but that's a solid bet. I think you may have a future in this business. Um, so there were, you know, a couple other football players, some basketball players as well. There was a wrestling student, uh, a wrestling player as well that uh, got caught up in this probe. Um, and it really is, I think, the beginning of something we're going to see a lot more of, unfortunately, uh, 
we just saw another one recently back in May, Alabama's head baseball coach. This isn't even an athlete. The head baseball coach, Brad Bohannon, uh, was caught a few months ago back in May wagering against his own team when they played LSU on the baseball diamond. It turned out that their starting pitcher had to be scratched in the LSU game because uh, he was uh, dealing with back spasms or something similar to that. So they had to put in a pitcher that hadn't pitched since March. And the head coach, Brad Bohannon, was like, I don't think we're going to win this game. So I'm going to place bets on an, in an Ohio sports book. By the way, I believe it was the only, if I remember reading this correctly, it was the only bet that was placed from I, from Ohio between this game. So LSU-Alabama uh, baseball game, the only bet that happened on that game in Ohio. So immediately, the the Ohio, I think, sports book or the Ohio uh, board of gaming or whatever it is essentially had some they they caught some red flags they were like that's interesting and that's weird uh we never get alabama baseball bets up here i wonder why that is so they looked into it they find out uh somebody was placing the bets for brad bohannon courtesy of him from ohio essentially as a middleman and then they find him he's eventually fired obviously and uh yeah, this is, uh, we, we got a quote from Keith White here, an executive director of the National Council on Problem Gambling from an article from Associated Press. And he said, quote, this is probably just the tip of the iceberg, end quote, when it comes to uh, the gambling situation in Iowa and the probe that went through there. So I guess my question I want to lay out to the audience and really just all of the NCAA and major sports in general um, is the NCAA or any major sports organization, for that matter, prepared for more of these violations to come to light? And I don't know how prepared they really are. They're obviously sending in probes and stuff like that. But the other thing is, a lot of these are conducted independently. So it's you know the Iowa, um, the Iowa Board of Gambling Security or whatever it is, uh, is basically putting in their in their own investigation. And the other thing is a lot of these gambling, these wagers are being put in um, from underage athletes, which is a whole other series of events that, you know, uh, are going to negatively negatively affect these players. And the fact that Keith White, the executive director of National Council on Problem Gambling, said, quote, this is probably just the tip of the iceberg, end quote. Uh, tells me a lot. This guy seems like he would know a lot about what is going on around a lot of these campuses and what is happening in a lot of these campuses. And I don't know if the NCAA or the, I mean, any other major sports uh, group, uh, the NFL, obviously they've had these problems as well. We just saw Calvin Ridley get suspended for a full year this past season because of placing wagers on his own team while he was, I believe, sidelined. And we just saw a couple others. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts had a couple of players suspended through at least the 2023 season. Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry, uh, as well as free agent Demetrius Taylor. They were all suspended indefinitely through at least the 2023 season for betting on NFL games just this past season. In addition, Tennessee Titans offensive tackle Nicholas, Nicholas Petit Frere, I believe is how you say, say his name, was suspended six games for betting on other sports at the workplace. The four suspensions were announced by the NFL, and that was back in June. Um, and again, this feels like it's just beginning. The floodgates are beginning to open, which is also partially the great irony, to be honest with you. The NFL is getting an ungodly amount, and not just the NFL, a lot of other uh, professional sports league, uh, professional sports leagues, as well as college sports, college basketball, college football. Um, there's some areas in the world, areas in the country where you can't bet college sports, uh, and then there's other areas in the world, uh, other areas in the country where you can bet college sports. Um, but for the major sports leagues, these guys are taking an enormous amount of money from 
these uh, sports books, DraftKings, FanDuel, you name it, they're all taking enormous amounts of money from these sports books uh, to promote the, you know, this DraftKings being the NFL's number one sports book app or something like that. And the NFL, the players are not allowed to essentially see any of that money uh, because obviously you don't want your players uh, gambling on games or seeing money that has come through from gambling money uh, into players' pockets because that can be seen and strewn the incorrect way. Um, so now the players are like, uh, not all, again, not all the players, obviously, but some of these players are like, look, I want to get in on some of this action, obviously, and I don't necessarily blame them. But again, I think a lot of the people, it's similar to like something like steroids, I think, um, where there were a lot of people doing it at the time in baseball back in the 90s, early 2000s. There were a ton of people doing it, but we only caught a couple of major names uh, and that essentially is what brought down the hammer on the rest of them, essentially. Now, granted, I still think there is ways that are being moved around that. That's a whole other conversation we can have. And I think that's what's going on, uh, going on in a lot of these other areas of uh, either college athletics or professional athletics. I think that, you know, there are people still gambling, uh, players still gambling, whether it be on their own teams or on just, you know, in sports in general that are just better at hiding it than others. And I think that's a real possibility of what's happening throughout college athletics and um, professional athletics for the most part. And I, I don't think I'm willing to go as far as saying there are people that are, um, you know, losing on purpose or anything like that. I don't think I've seen anything like that in any of the professional sports that uh, I've watched. I've never gotten that vibe from any of the ones that I have seen. But I do think that it's it's a very strong possibility that, um, players from specific teams are betting on their own team or betting, you know, on other teams while they're, they have a day off or whatever, and they're just hiding it way better than anybody else is throughout the game or the people that got caught throughout the game as well. So I don't know how any of these, it's an interesting question to ask is the NC, I mean, the NCAA isn't, wasn't prepared to handle a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. I mean, NIL has been a disaster in their eyes, uh, according, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, it's been a disaster in terms of people just essentially buying players at this point, uh, as well as conference realignment has been a disaster for them. They've shown essentially that they have no power in any of that, in any of those talks. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and, and I just don't think the NCAA is prepared for anything like this. And that's why it's really been taken out of their hands. A lot of gaming commissions have been have taken over to kind of make these decisions and put these probes into these schools or into these areas to try to find this sort of um, sort of thing and try to stop it from happening, even though, you know, there's not enough probes. I don't think that you can place in a lot of these places, um, you know, Iowa, Iowa state being some smaller schools, but if you go to Gainesville uh, for Florida or Florida state or whatever, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or Georgia, um, any of these other schools that have massive, massive amounts of people attending them, then it could be a little bit different and the probe might not be, you know, good enough to, to dig up a lot of this stuff. I think it's again, uh, Keith White was the one who is the the uh, president, excuse me, the executive director, excuse me, Keith White, the executive director of the National Council on Problem Gaming, said, quote, this is probably just the tip of the iceberg, end quote, and I am one to believe that I think it's going to be very hard to find the bottom half of that iceberg as we move forward. 
Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now. And they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AEC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. Speaking of college football realignment, I kind of teased it a little bit. Uh, and last week we talked about it kind of um, pre-gaming, I guess, if you want to say that. Uh, the Pac-12 moves because nothing had really happened just yet. Colorado had moved uh, to the Big 12, announced that they were moving to the Big 12. But other than that, and USC, USLA, UCLA had moved to the Big 10 last year, so we all kind of knew that. But other than that, it was all kind of holding steady. But I said there were murmurs, there were reports going around that a lot of shifting was going to happen. And lo and behold... It happened, ladies and gentlemen. If you were anywhere near uh, any sort of social media or uh, sporting television screen or whatever, you heard about Pac-12 realignment uh, over this past weekend. Uh, the Pac-12 was essentially gutted since last episode. Uh, there were, I think, what, 10 teams, 9 teams left in the Pac-12 or something like that the last time we were talking on this program. And since then, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, they're all gone. They have left. They have said they are leaving uh, along with Colorado. They're all joining the Big 12. So Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, they're all moving to the Big 12. They're gone. So starting next season, this will be the last year. This upcoming season uh, will be the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it uh, today. And then Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Washington are all moving to the Big 10 starting in 2024. So as we were talking about it last week, we talked about UCLA and USC already. That was kind of the beginning of the movement from, I think, the Pac-12. They were the big money getters. Uh, they were the people that really brought in the most quiche, if you will, uh, for a lot of the Pac-12 is that the revenue is shared amongst all the other teams. Uh, once they left, I think there was a big, strong murmur amongst the rest of the teams. They're like, well, if we're not going to get that sort of money, then why are we here? And then they were gone. And that's why a lot of that happened. So Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, all gone as of this past weekend. Oregon and Washington also gone to the Big Ten. Uh, and Arizona, Arizona State, Utah all going to the Big 12. That was a wrap. It was very quickly. Once one once one domino fell, they all started to fall as well. And now, as of next season, if things don't change, and things probably will change, but as it stands right now, uh, the Pac-12 has been shrunken down to the Pac-4. There are four teams left in the Pac-12. It's Cal. Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State. And it is more than likely not over. The um, offloading is probably just beginning. Uh, according to sources from Pete Thamel, who is a very, uh, a very, a very reputable source in the college football world, the ACC presidents met on Tuesday 
uh, which for those of you who don't know, the Athletic Coast Conference, that's the one that has Clemson, Florida State in it. Those are the two big ones. Miami's in it as well. Uh, they met on Tuesday morning for an exploratory call on the possibility of adding Cal and Stanford. So the Atlantic Coast Conference, is, if they do add those those teams, uh, is going to be called the All Coasts Conference. I just made that up, but that's what it should be changed to. So it's still the ACC. Call me for uh, pricing. Atlantic Coast Conference, ACC, call me for pricing. Uh, and they met for on the possible addition of Cal and Stanford. There was no votes taken or anything like that. So not a whole lot of movement there, but they're at least having the conversation of possibly adding those teams. And that's huge as news as, to, uh, as well. If Cal and Stanford leave, then that leaves only two teams in the Pac-12. It goes from Pac-12 to the Pac-2. Oregon State and Washington State, they will play each other Every single week in conference play for football and then for the conference championship, no matter the records. I'm kidding. Of course, that is not what would happen. It would probably lead to the dissolution of the Pac-12 as we know it, or they would have to, I would imagine, have to find other teams in uh, you know, the lower conferences to try to fill up the Pac-12. And at that point, Pac-12 ceases to be a Power 5 conference, which is something that we've always seen them as. Uh, this has basically turned into essentially foot, uh, college football having three major power conferences uh, in my, from what I'm looking at ACC, I guess power four major power conferences, I guess is what I should say. Um, so four major power conferences, the big 10, the big 12, the sec and the ACC, those are going to be your big power conferences from now on. It seems like the PAC 12 is all but done for, uh, especially with Cal and Stanford having those exploratory calls. Um, it seems like they're on their way out as well. I have no idea what Oregon state or Washington state are going to do. If Pac-12, if Cal and Stanford do end up leaving, no idea what they're going to do. At that point, they're just going to be begging for anybody to come and take them. Uh, it could be Mountain West, possibly Washington State, Oregon State could be Mountain West schools, but they're way better than that, in my opinion. Uh, way more, uh, they bring in way more dollars, I think, than any of the other Mountain West schools. No offense to Wyoming or Boise State or anything like that, but they bring in more revenue than any of those schools for sure. So them moving to the Mountain West, it almost seemed like a step down, but at this point, they're to the point now where they almost have no option, especially if Cal and Stanford leave uh, as the two remaining people at the dinner table, they'll be looking for scraps at this point. Uh, they'll be begging big 12 to let them in the big 10 to let them in, whoever it is uh, as they're still seen as big power five schools, they will be begging to let any of those people, or they could just go on to be independent, which, you know, that's a possibility as well. Uh, we see BYU do it. You see, we see Notre Dame do it, even though Notre Dame only does it for uh, for football. They still do it in football, which is obviously their most uh, profitable sport. Um, so they still do it in both in uh, football. And then there's a couple other schools. Army, I think Navy are both um, independents as well. There's, I think, a couple others that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Uh, we could see that happen from Oregon State and Stanford, uh, Oregon State and uh, Washington State, excuse me. Um, but it's very interesting. I, I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen to the rest of the Pac-12. The Pac-12, as we know it, is done. I think there's just going to be a change in maybe name or something like that, where it just becomes a lesser uh, type of uh, type of conference, if you will. We might see another conference kind of form in the ashes of the Pac-12. But the Pac-12, as we know it, as a Power Five conference, is gone. It no longer exists. It has been scooped up and taken away. Uh, it has been burnt from the top down, essentially, and it is now basically a pack. It's a pack four as it stands right now. I don't know what it will turn into. I don't know how the dissolution of a conference necessarily works. I don't know if that's even a thing that can happen. Uh, but I mean, you're not going to be bringing in big power five schools to come play for the pack 12 anymore because the guys that were already there were like, look, this is a terrible deal. 
uh, that they're trying to get together for uh, in terms of uh, licensing rights. And it's nowhere near the amount of money that you can make going to the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the SEC or what have you or the ACC. Even the ACC is having some issues there as well. We might see some people leave from the ACC here in just a little in here and not very long as well. But I mean, we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, but the Pac-12, it's just, I don't know where, where they go from here. I still think there is a decent chance we see, you know, a couple schools break out to kind of create their own conference. Smaller schools trying to break out and create their own conference that kind of scoops up uh, extra West Coast area. Um, but for the most part, like I said, USC, UCLA, that's in the Big Ten. Those are your big money makers in the former Pac-12. I mean, those were the guys that made you the most money, the most revenue in the Pac-12, and now they're in the Big Ten. So a lot of that market has shifted over to just big the Big Ten uh, area. You know, not, not necessarily like getting up and moving, but uh, in terms of viewing pleasure and stuff like that, they're just going to start watching Big Ten games, and it's going to be hard to break them away from that, watching their own team in the Big Ten come back and watch some group of five conference that isn't nearly as good as the Pac-12 was, essentially. So I don't know what happens with the Pac-12. It's one of the most um, incredible, I think, dissolutions or whatever you want to call it that I've seen in recent, maybe ever, probably ever, because um, I've never seen a conference just dissolve in the matter of 48 hours, essentially lose six of its teams, six or seven of its teams over the the span of a year and a half. And then, you know, four or five of those teams all go in the matter of 48 hours, essentially. And then the Pac-12 is essentially dead in the water. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, and it really opens up a big discussion when it comes to college football on how much it's what it's really turning into uh, since the money has really come into the sport uh, and the amount of money that comes into the sport, uh, especially in football, because whether you like it or not, college football is the second most viewed uh, and the second biggest moneymaker in all of America outside of the NFL. College football is number two on that list. Um, and I think they are now starting to realize, I think a lot of these football programs, especially because a lot of these moves are happening based around the football program. It's not being moved because the basketball program at UCLA would be better off playing in the big 10. It's not that they're going to make a lot more money playing in the big 10 uh, and their media rights deals for football, especially going to be making a lot more money out of the Big Ten than if they were to stay in the Pac-12. And so now we're seeing these teams essentially uh, in programs, the football programs especially, essentially say, look, we can do a lot of this by ourselves. Like we don't need uh, the university essentially to be the ones that are controlling us or even the NCAA or the conferences themselves be the ones that are going to control us and what we're going to do because we bring in such a large amount of the money that goes into these schools, they can essentially do whatever they want. Uh, and that is essentially what we're seeing. And I think uh, the end game for a lot of this, and this is going to be uh, probably doubted upon, this might be a hot take, but I think the end game of this is a lot of these football programs basically breaking off of the NCAA uh, and making their own league, essentially. I think that is more than likely the end game. They have... 18, 18 teams in the Big Ten now. I think it's 16 in the Big 12, 16 in the ACC. So you add that up, that gives you however close to 65 teams or something like that, give or take a, a few teams. And you could just break off, make your own program in that sense, or make your own league essentially in that sense, the college football league or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know what they would do, but that feels like the end game at this point because especially for the SEC schools because they are essentially just minor league NFL. Uh, with the amount of money that they pull in every single year with SEC football. I don't know. 
when that would happen or anything like that, that's just a prediction of mine. I think we're getting to the point where I think a lot of these football programs are becoming more self-aware and they're like, if we leave the SEC, we don't need the SEC to necessarily be the people that are commanding the contracts from ESPN or Fox Sports for football. We can do it ourselves and the product that they're we're going to put out on the field is going to be good enough to draw ESPN and Fox Sports to pay for rights independently of these schools. And I think that's, unfortunately, I would dislike that a lot, obviously. That would not be, uh, I would not enjoy that. That would really put a damper, I think, on a lot of the entire idea of college football, in my opinion. Um, but that feels like the direction we're kind of going with a lot of these football programs essentially deciding um, a lot of these decisions because, you know, the volleyball team for USC doesn't want to have to travel 3,000 miles to go play Rutgers. They don't necessarily have the resources for that, but the football team definitely does. They've got plenty of resources to go and do that. They can charter those planes and and so on and so forth. It's different. You know, the football teams are essentially, football programs are essentially making these decisions for the rest of the teams um, throughout those programs. It's just, it feels like the end path for all of this or the end goal on this path uh, it's probably just a breaking apart of a lot of these football programs and turning them into essentially uh, minor league football teams that are then drafted into the NFL. I think you still have your college football teams in the group of, you know, the NCAA still has control over a lot of the group of five teams because I don't think a lot of those programs could break off on their own and um, do a lot of their own games through the, their programs by themselves. So I think the power five would still or the, the group of five teams would still very much survive in that sense. Uh, but right now, I mean, the group of five teams are not nearly what we used to see them. I mean, just, I mean, uh, they all, uh, the, what is it? The AAC, the all American conference or whatever they call it was basically gutted just recently. The UCF, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, uh, and a couple others, uh, just went to the big 12 recently and Brigham young as well. They were a, uh, uh, a independent and they just moved to the big 12 as well because there's more money into that than there is to be an independent. So it's very interesting. It's all changing very much right before our very eyes. Another one is happening possibly here pretty soon. There has been murmurs of this one as well. Florida State has also been very open about the need for changes in the ACC, or they will be looking to leave for either the Big Ten or the SEC as well. Um, however, with their current agreement with the ACC and their uh, media rights deal, they would have to essentially sue to get out of their contract with the ACC, and that doesn't seem likely that they would win that um, because they're basically saying, hey, we don't want to be here. Please let us out of our contract. And I don't think that's something a judge would be like, yeah, sure, go ahead, get out of here. I don't I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen. So Florida State, and I mean, if Florida State leaves, the other thing is that's only going to begin, I think, another plethora of um, departures as well. I think if Florida State leaves, Miami leaves in that sense. Miami goes on to be somewhere else. Wherever Florida State is going to go, I think Miami is going to end up going as well. So you know, that that's a whole other conversation. They would also also have to sue for their rights um, with the ACC as well. So if Florida State sues, wants to leave the ACC and they win, then Miami's going to be like, okay, well, if they can leave, why can't we leave? And that's going to end up being a whole other situation of, uh, of departures in the ACC. And then maybe Cal and Stanford look at them and they're like, maybe this isn't too flattering anymore. And maybe they look somewhere else. It's a whole thing. It's incredible. It's all happening right before our very eyes. The entire landscape is going to look different this time next year. Uh, we're going to be talking about different teams, different conferences. We're going to talk about uh, USC playing Michigan year in, year out, or USC playing Ohio State year in, year out. I mean, it's it's turned into a cluster, ladies and gentlemen. It is a madness what is going on in college football. But um, as long as it stays college football, I think, you know, I, I could be okay with it. You know, I think I'll just get used to it at this point. But 
we'll see. I, I don't know what to expect anymore from college football. I don't know what else is going to change. Um, so we'll just have to see. This time next year, it's all going to look different, though. We know that for sure. Okay, uh, we're going to start to slowly wrap up the program here. I do want to make a quick comment, recap, if you will, on the U.S. Women's National Team being outed in the, uh, ousted in the first, the round of 16 uh, against Sweden. That was, that's a tough way to go. That was one of the most insane penalty kick, um, group of penalty kicks that I've ever seen. I've never seen a game end by literally a millimeter goes off the keeper and then lands behind the uh, the goal line by a literal millimeter. I mean, it's as close of a goal that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and it was tough because I think it, it marks the end for a lot of those players. Morgan, she might be back. Alex Morgan might be back. Uh, Megan Rapino is going to be gone. She said she's going to retire. Kelly O'Hara is, is a veteran on that team as well. We'll be interested to see if she comes back. Uh, but there are a lot of young players on this team. I can't imagine... Uh, a situation in which uh, the head coach uh, Vladko Andonovsky comes back at all. Uh, there was plenty of talent on this team for them to make a run. I've, I've read a couple places that believe that they're um, not the starting level, but the backup 11 that they had on their bench was also good enough to try to, uh, to win world cup titles as well. Uh, and I think after the showing that they just had where it was stagnant, they could not, uh, it, it felt like every time they had the ball in the midfield, it was going to be taken away because there was no offense being moved up and down the field. It was just, it was very difficult to watch. The crossbar was every team's best friend against the U S they had the U S constantly had more shots on goal than ever any other team. Um, but it just didn't end up winning anything. I just think that, uh, Vladko is probably on his way out the door and rightfully so you can't have that amount of talent they have on their team and have nothing to show for it especially with uh, one, the expectations that they had coming into it. Again, they could have put their starting or their backup 11 on that, on the field and with the proper strategy going into uh, the actual games. And I think from the beginning, it just looked like it was a different U S team, just both in strategy and the way they were playing and how stagnant it looked. Uh, and the fact that they only put, I mean, the, the game against Vietnam, the opener, they were expected to score like six or seven goals. That's what we expected from the old U.S. team, uh, but they only put up three. Granted, you know, that's a, a decent score. Three nothing is a is a decent score to have against a, a team, against any other team. But against Vietnam, who is just try, starting to kind of find their uh, U.S. women's national team over there, uh, 3-0 is not unacceptable. Obviously you can always be happy with a win, but you should be expecting more out of the American team. And I think the other thing is a lot of countries, uh, international countries as well are really starting to put money into their, uh, women's leagues and women's international squads. We see it in England. We see a lot of it in France. Uh, we see it in Canada as well. Canada has been a very good club, even though both, uh, Canada and, uh, Brazil was another one, but Brazil got knocked out as well uh, from the group stage as well as Canada, but Canada is going through a lot of their own problems right now uh, in terms of um, some internal stuff that's going on through the Canada women's national team. But uh, there are a lot more seeing the success from the U S team uh, throughout the years and the inspiration. And I think the U S team has really created um, throughout the, I think women's game in general, a lot of other international, uh, a lot of other countries are really funneling more money into the women's um, game of soccer. And we're seeing that with a lot of the leagues and stuff that are crop, uh, cropping up from uh, from England, from Brazil, or just the players as well from England, Brazil, uh, and then from France as well. So 
It's not that the U.S. is is getting caught up with, I think, um, but the teams are getting better uh, around them as well. And there's a lot more history when it comes to just soccer in general, obviously, in those other countries in Brazil, England, France, you know, you name it, than there is in um, the United States of America outside of the U.S. women's national team, obviously. And the programs are uh, just a lot better. The national programs for uh, soccer in a lot of those international countries are just a lot better than the national program that we get from uh, the, the the U.S. side of things when it comes to soccer. The U.S. women's national team has really honestly worked with a lot more than they're given. Uh, they've put they've they've shown a lot more um, than what they're necessarily given. They've really done better than I think a lot of people expected with um, the resources that were given to them until recently. Um, and now with other countries really funneling resources into uh, their national teams, especially on the women's side, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, catch up from a lot of those teams as well. Japan, uh, obviously they've had a fantastic national team as well for a very long time, but even Sweden, Australia, Australia has got the best soccer uh, women's soccer player in the world and Sam Kerr. I mean, a lot more of these countries, it feels like are starting to catch up to the U S women's national team. Clearly. I mean, we haven't seen the U S women's national team, bumped out of the round of 16 ever. I mean, this is the the lowest finish that they've ever had. Um, so it, it just feels like there is a changing of the guard, if you will, a little bit um, with the rest of the world versus the U.S. Uh, national team when it comes to women's soccer. Um, then again, though, the U.S. women's soccer team is still very young. I mean, I still think that uh, there's a couple... There's a couple women on that team that are going to be retiring. Kelly O'Hara, like I said, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan maybe has one more shot at it. Um, but, you know, there's still a rest. The rest of that team is still very uh, young. And I think there's going to be a large majority of those people that were on that field when they lost in the round of 16 to Sweden that are going to be back in four years time looking to have a revenge session, if you will. A little, little revenge coming their way. Um, so we'll see what happens. But an interesting takeaway, I think, from that loss um, is just seeing the fact that how much the world has really caught up over the last four years, essentially to the U S women's national team uh, and how quickly it can all kind of collapse out from under them just in, you know, four games, essentially uh, underneath the U S women's national team. So shout out the U S women's national team. I mean, two time world, three time world champions, back to back world cup champions and um, forever. Megan Rapino, forever the goat in U S women's national team soccer forever the goat and um, we'll see what they go from here. We'll see what happens from the U S women's national team from here. Um, all right. That is going to wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I want to thank you, our sponsors, Alpine climate control uh, and Jack and Kathleen Wood from 307 real estate. They are the true heroes as well as the listeners. You guys, we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. I uh, love y'all very much. Please give this a rating. If you can on any of those podcasting platforms that you're listening to it from, uh, it helps up the show. Uh, very much and uh, gets us into the trending section a little bit more and I'd greatly appreciate it. So uh, shout out, uh, shout out Tim Anderson, shout out Jose Ramirez. Thank you for giving us a very eventful uh, Saturday night brawl. That was tons of fun to watch. Shout out college football realignment and shout out the U S women's national team. This is the weekend sports wrap podcast. And I have been your host, James Timberlake. James Timberlake.